Let's have an added word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for the scripture that was just read. Help us to leave this place knowing that we've been with you, not that we've sat here and ate a spiritual meal, but Lord, that we have communed with you and that we truly know you so that when you come, we will have a place there at your table, the Messiah's banquet, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me make sure this is going on. All right, there we go. As I think of Jesus and glimpses of Jesus, one of the key concepts you find in the New Testament is Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And as they pondered Jesus' miracles and his, and his ministry and his teaching and his words and his teaching in the streets and all of that, and they ate with him, this key concept keeps coming back. Who is this Jesus? Because they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for an eschatological meal at the end of time with this Messiah. And so as we look at this concept here, we're going to look at a banquet a meal with the king of kings that he invites each one of us to, a meal beyond anything earthly rulers can even imagine. And as I think of earthly rulers, in January of 2011, some of you might have read the headlines there that time, January 19, we had invited as a country, the president of the United States had invited the president of China over to an all-American banquet. And these are spectacular meals, the likes of which I have never seen other than this picture. Look at this picture. I mean, you've got the crystal goblets of different colors. You look down there and you can see right here is the china, and look at that. That's actual gold. Uh, they've taken 24-karat 20, gold and they've, they've actually uh, done a process of getting it on the plate there. And if you look there, there's also a piece of paper in each one of those plates, an invitation. It has their names written on it as to who is going to be sitting right there. And you know, I would feel honored in earth standards, I guess you could say, to, to even be a fly on the wall at one of these events, just to see what's happening. Uh, type of honor that the world would like to have. But for me, it'd be interesting, I should say, to be able to just to see how they interact, how they're eating. And in fact, at this gathering, there were more than one room. There was a general room, which at best, that's where I would be. I know reporters are in there and, and all kinds of entourage are in there. But, but then they would go into the red room, this room here, and you can notice the, the extravagance at each one of these tables. And then there was another room, a, a blue room, and that room had its own color coatings as well. The, the blue tablecloth, the same type of china, some different colored goblets. And then you would get into the inner circle, I guess you would call it. And here we have some notable figures. I kind of wondered back in 2011 what Kerry, what John Kerry was doing there right at the right, left hand of, of Obama. Now we kind of know. But as we're as I was looking at this picture, there's the Chinese delegation on one side, there's the American politicians on the other side, guests of honor. I thought to myself, wow, that's an amazing meal, isn't it? Sitting there with the President of the United States and the President of China, and Earth's honor standards, that would be a spec spectacular place to be, would it not? We crave honor a lot of times in this society especially in America. We like prestige. We like to have the bells and whistles and all of that. But as I think of this, I think to myself, that meal came and went. That meal was almost four, over four, over, almost three years ago. Over, it was three years ago and going on four years ago. And you find now there's all kinds of troubles and, and accusations between the United States and China. It, it obviously didn't solve everything, did it? It wasn't of eternal value. And yet as we look at the Messiah's banquet, 
we find a meal a long time ago where people were craving honor. They were thinking it was just a passing meal. And Jesus was sitting there and saying, no, it was more than that. Do you really know me? You're eating with me. You're drinking with me. Do you know me? If you look here in Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. Underline that, we'll come back to it. And there in front of him was a certain man suffering from dropsy. Another key term. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Here they are, in a, on a spiritual day, in seemingly a regular meal, but Jesus is turning it and saying that this is a meal of spiritual significance. But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. Notice he doesn't stay. And he said to them, Which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. A meal with the Messiah whom they themselves had not accepted as the, as the Savior. A meal where they are watching him closely, but not for good reason. A meal where you have someone who in their standards didn't deserve the honor of being there. A meal that in a way showed them, after Jesus rebukes them, the true way of the Messiah's banquet, the true types of people that would be there. And so there's this meal long ago, and I'm going to analyze it with you now. The location, pretty clear, isn't it? It's the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. One of the leaders of the Pharisees. So this is somebody who has some stature in that community of faith. And not only that, when is it taking place? On the Sabbath, right? So we just, these are just basic things. What were the religious people or leaders doing? It says they were watching him closely. You know, they wanted to know Jesus, didn't they? Is that what the reason was? No. Remember that scripture reading said that, well, we ate with you, we heard you in the streets and all that. He says, I never knew you. They could literally sit across from the king of kings, the banquet of all banquets, any poor old peanut butter and jelly sandwich meal with Jesus would be a Messiah's banquet, would be beyond the red room and the blue room and the presidential circles. That, to me, would be amazing, wouldn't it? But they are not even going there. They're just saying to themselves, how can we trap this guy? Watching closely. If you take that word and get your Strong's Concordance out, do some chain referencing, you'll find that it almost links itself back to the Levitical services, especially if you look compare it to the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so what was that all about? The religious services of ancient Israel, particular times and places and sacrifices, all the way down to minute details, right? That's what we have Leviticus for. And so that type of watching closely, closely, every minute detail. It's obviously not to know him, so then it is to depose him as the Messiah, to take him off and to tear him down. You know, isn't that something? We could be coming here for a spiritual meal every single week on the Sabbath, having a religious teacher up here leading you, 
And we watch each other so closely that we don't even see Jesus. That's not what we should be doing. If they would watch Jesus that closely, I wonder how closely they would watch one another. It causes me to pause and say, Murray, there's a mirror here for you today. Look at it. We should all be pausing and looking at it. And notice who was also there. It says also there was a man with dropsy. Anybody have that idea? I, I had to look it up because I'm not a medical person. But this idea in the Greek was hudor, this water disease. And if you've been to a place where someone has uh, a lot of fluid building up, uh, you know some of the condition we're talking about. Then you have this guy had a disease to the point where the water was building up, the fluids were building up, and it was so noticeable. Everybody could see it. Now, it's almost like it's deformed the guy. Okay, a water disease in the original language, this water man, if you will. And you can, you can tell when you've seen somebody like that where it's almost like their, their skin, if you just touched it, it would just burst like a watermelon. You ever seen somebody? It's, it's painful. It's, it can be painful at times. So here's a guy who's deformed by the water. And Jesus looks there in the gathering. He knows they're all watching him closely like a hawk to devour him. And he says to them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Is it okay if I take away this man's water disease? It shows us the value of that one person. Each one of us are in need of healing, are we not? Each one of us, if we were to come together before Jesus that day and he saw truly down into our hearts, he would say, you need healing. I'm willing to do it today, even on the Sabbath day. And I began thinking about this story because I thought to myself, you know, I read some more back in parables class and all of this about the, the rabbis and how they taught different things and I said, there's something back in there about what they expected when the Messiah would come, and it seems like Jesus isn't their expectation. And so maybe there's something there about this blemished man as well. Yeah, there is something there. You know, they wouldn't invite such a man to a meal like this because they wouldn't see this man being invited to Messiah's meal at the end of time. When the Messiah came, they would not see this person being there at the meal. How do I know that? You look at the Qumran community, you find we've, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls comes from that area, but if you look at how they comment on Isaiah 25, 6-9, they, they comment that there would be a banquet with the Messiah, and the Messiah would literally kill off all the nations. Anybody who's Gentile? Me, right? Okay, so he'd kill us off, all the nations, and then the true people would wade through the blood of the Gentiles to get to the Messiah's banquet. Is that a very pretty picture to you? I shot a ground squirrel this week, and, and I just noticed the blood and everything, and I thought, man, imagine wading through that stuff. Bodies and all of that. Okay, so they had this really strange picture of Isaiah, and then it says, in, in this, uh, you look at Kenneth Bailey's book, Jesus from Middle Eastern Eyes, somebody who was going over to the Middle East and noticing their current customs and comparing it to yesteryear and seeing if they're still doing some of the things, the traditions and all of that, and he would research the villages and see what kind of customs they had, kind of a cultural study. He writes, and he quotes the Qumran. He says, at the banquet of the Messiah, 
There will be no one who is smitten in the flesh or paralyzed in his feet or hands or lame or blind or deaf or dumb or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish. How many of us would be able to go to that meal then? They would leave some of us out, would it not? Wouldn't that leave some of us out? Smitten in the flesh. Something noticeably wrong with your flesh. Now you could go ahead and delve into the language of that and find even more meaning. Paralyzed in your feet or hands. Or lame. <clears throat> Somehow having something wrong with you where you couldn't walk. Blind. My grandfather is blind now. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be standing here today. Blind. Deaf. My dad is deaf. Leave him out. Can't speak. Somehow smitten in the flesh with a visible blemish. I've got a couple few visible blemishes. So, would you like to go to this type of meal then, if you had any of those? I don't even know if I'd want to be there if they were going to judge me based upon what I look like. If that's the way they saw the Messiah coming, killing off his enemies, and only having the perfect people there, which we know, and the earth may knew, we will have perfect bodies. So in essence, this will be fulfilled. But they saw it being fulfilled in this world, so then why would Waterman be there? Why would he be there? If they didn't see that guy being there when, G when the true Messiah came, which to their mind wasn't Jesus. The only logical conclusion is that they were watching him carefully, they brought him in on Sabbath to shame Jesus and to trap him in healing this man so they could reject him as the Messiah. It was a trap. But you know, it's kind of hard to trap the creator of the world, isn't it? I mean, I, I've gone through the Bible and tried to, to restudy and evaluate things, and it's just like these wonderful beliefs keep coming back regardless of scrutiny, regardless of higher critical. I, I mean, there's all kinds of people trying to chip away at this word of God, and I can tell you right now it stands firm, let alone Jesus himself turns it on these guys. He began not only saying to them, is it lawful for you to heal on the Sabbath? I mean, you're going you're gonna to take your boy out of a well What's the well have in it? Water. Okay. You're going to take your boy who falls, or your son who falls into the well on Sabbath, you're going to pull him out of the water. Then why can't I let the water out of this guy? You're going to allow your animal, if it falls into the well, you're going to pull it out of the water as well. So why can't I value this man more than your animal? So that wasn't enough. Uh, if you look on, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and exposes their whole gathering. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. You know, at that gathering of, of President Hugh and President Obama, you find that there were places of honor more than likely at that table. I mean, Kerry is to the immediate side of, of Obama. You find Hugh has his person to the immediate side of him. Back then, they had places of honor as well. The person who would be sitting closest to the host, they would pick out these places of honor at the table. Who esteems these places honorable? Jesus? No. These people who are gathering. Could it be that what we believe is honorable, really we don't have a clue what truly is honorable? Jesus points this out. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, 
So imagine, imagine you're the leader there of the Pharisees and you invited Jesus here on the Sabbath and you had it all arranged to trap him and then he turns it on you and then he throws a story in, okay? He's in a way going to rebuke you as the leader as well as the ones who've gathered there to trap him. So this would be smacking right into you saying, why are you trying to trap me? Don't you know? Don't you know that everyone is invited to the banquet? I can sense the love of Jesus as he says these words. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, give place to this man, and then in disgrace or shame in some language, you proceed to occupy last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. You notice he's trying to tell them something here. And so that when, you, when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And they were big on honor. You look at the Qumran community as well, you find this statement. It says, then the Messiah of Israel shall come, and the chiefs of the clans of Israel shall sit before him, each in the order of his dignity or honor, according to his place in their camps and marches. Not just you find the marches and camps, but also this idea of dignity and honor. So they believe they were seats of honor when the Messiah came. So why not now then? And who is sitting in the seat of honor? Is it Jesus? Not Jesus. He is somewhere near the waterman. And the waterman, because we don't know his name, it just says a certain man with a water condition. We'll call him waterman. The waterman, you, you notice after Jesus heals him, what happens to him? Did they invite him to stay by for the meal and all of that? I mean, he's perfect without blemish now, isn't he? No, Jesus has to send him out. It's not a safe place for the waterman. Okay, so where is Jesus located at this meal? You think he's at the seat of honor next to the host, or you think he's down further somewhere else? They may have seated him down near the last place. We're not told in the text, but it leaves you wondering, since he's close to the man with a blemish. And so the seat of honor, the protos place, the first place, next to the host, was not to be for those outside of their community of faith, was not to be those with blemish, so what are they saying to Jesus? You can draw implications from this, can't you? Not those of the perfect or without, uh, there were only those who were, per, who were perfect and without blemish, not the ones who were not perfect and with blemish. And Jesus is trying to turn it on them again and saying, you know what? The ones who you think are so blemished and dishonorable, they are going to be honored. They are invited just as much as you are. You need to stop comparing yourself to others. And really what he's trying to do is he's trying to draw them to himself and saying, you know, what you think is going to happen is not going to happen that way. At my banquet, the first will be last, and the last who you think are last will be first. Proverbs 25, verse 6 says, Do not claim honor in the presence of the king. Huh, who's the king at this meal in the New Testament? King Jesus, we all know that by faith. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men, for it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. I mean, here is Jesus. 
And Jesus is saying, you have shamed me. And you tried to shame this man with the water condition. It's almost like he's saying, don't you know the king is sitting here? The prince that you're looking for? And so now then you will be shamed. Can you imagine the second coming of all those people there that didn't decide to follow Jesus at that meal? What are they going to be thinking at the second coming? When they see Jesus, Revelation talks about the special resurrection of those who pierced him. So imagine them coming up and seeing Jesus in the clouds of glory or something. Or after the thousand years. I mean, imagine them who shamed Jesus and now they see him honored. And so they would understand Jesus' language. He's quoting right out of the Old Testament and saying, you have to be careful about striving for honor. For in so doing, you could bring about dishonor. The Messiah is here. The meal is right now. It's not some way off distant future. And the honorable thing at this point is to say, how do we avoid that judgmental attitude? How do I know Jesus instead of saying, I ate with you, I heard your teaching, and you say, well, I never knew you. How do we shave off that watchfulness of those people to the point where they're blinded to the Messiah right in front of them. How do I shave that off? Well, I think it begins with humbling yourself. Didn't Jesus say that? He said, take the last place. When you're invited by someone, give, verse 9, and he who invited you both shall come and say, give place to this man. Go on down, verse 10. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, and then go on down to verse 11. Then you will be exalted. I must then humble myself on a daily basis before Jesus. He invites us to do that. And verse 12 says, and when he went up to say to the one who had invited him, <laughs> that's that leader of the Pharisees, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Implication, those are the ones who are here today. Lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you but when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will re be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus has a very clear teaching on life after death, and it comes at the resurrection. And can you imagine, what if you invited all these rich and wealthy people and they didn't even choose to serve Jesus? How much value would that be? Yeah, you showed you kindness, but then they invited you to their house and repaid you for it, and you're even, and they don't even know you're Jesus. And so who really cares in the scope of eternity? But think about the invite. Do not invite those people, but invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the ones who in your traditional teachings would not be at the second coming of the Messiah's banquet. Because if you invite them, at the resurrection, how many blind people do we have? None. At the resurrection, how many lame people do we have? At the resurrection, how many body parts are we missing? Zero. How many poor people are there? Zero. And my grandfather will, won't be blind anymore. And my dad will be able to hear. And so we need to see everybody as they are. As Christians, we're equal in Christ right now, are we not? 
We're all one in Christ. At the resurrection, we will all be equal in body. Right? Perfect bodies. No more things that are tired or need some oiling all the time and upkeep. Perfect bodies. And so Jesus is saying, look through the eyes of faith. Look and see. This is how Jesus saw the water man. He said, I don't see him as somehow deformed and not being invited to my meal. I see him as my son who fell down into some water and I am pulling him out and he is going to be embraced. He is going to be accepted. And so then if we see through the eyes of faith then and see that all are invited, all receive the invitation, just like in my class, they all receive the invitation. We all receive the invitation. Then we must also do the inverse. We must then see all of ourselves as the crippled, the naked, the poor, the blind, the wretched, in need of the healing. In some way, we all need healing. And then if we can see that, if we can see ourselves as needing Jesus and needing the healing, then we will be less likely to watch everybody else religiously. You know, plank-eyed saints are hard to deal with. And I should know, I've been one, okay? So, plank out of our eye. And then that little piece of dust in the other person's eye, we could really see clearly, could we not? Besides, if we're looking to Jesus all the time, as much as possible, you say, oh, I spend a thoughtful hour each day, that's good. But what about throughout the rest of the day? Are you constantly connected in some way, trying to remain connected with him throughout the day. Because if you are, then some of these little things we see all around us won't matter as much. You know, there's some big things that you have to say, you know, enough of that, but really, there's some things that we could let go. And so we find we are the miserable ones. We're in need of healing. We cannot repay. We're just like in the story there. We're the ones who need redemption through his blood according to the riches of his grace, not our own. We're totally dependent upon him. And the invitation says, I will invite you. I will provide everything for you. I'll even give you the clothing for this wonderful gathering. I'll provide a limousine to pick you up and those angels will lift you up and you'll, you'll be flying up into the air, you know, and meet your family in the air. I'll, I'll provide everything for you. We're all invited. And so this little graphic here, I'm going to recognize that I am poor, miserable, blind, and naked without Jesus. I need to be healed. I'm the crippled, lame man there in the story. I cannot repay, and so I'm totally dependent upon Jesus to be there at that meal. And as I recognize that, then I humble myself and say, you know what? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me if I've ever been the other people in the story. Watching. Can you imagine being healed, and then all of a sudden you become critical of everybody else? Yeah, you know, that guy over there with the water blemish, he's not going to go to church. He's not going to be saved. Now, can the water man do that after he's been healed? Do you think he would? I don't think he would. I think he would recognize that somebody else with a blemish just like him has the same source of healing. And so we look at each other and we say, you know, maybe they need to be pointed to the same source of healing. Maybe they need to be encouraged. Maybe they just need a hug today. Whatever. Humble ourselves and look from their point of view. And then I accept the invitation. Once I humble myself, I'm going to, this is kind of simultaneous, accept the invitation knowing that I have no right to be there except for by his grace. And once I've received that, then I extend invitations to those around me. Next week we'll talk more about invitations. But in essence, to begin that whole process, 
of humbling yourself. You have to really begin at the last place. He who beholds Christ in his self-denial, his lowliness of heart, will be constrained to say, as did Daniel, when he beheld one like the sons of men, my comeliness was turned in me into corruption. My beauty is nothing when I behold God. The independence and self-supremacy in which we glory are seen in their true vileness as tokens of servitude to Satan. Our independence and self-supremacy has a way of disconnecting us from one another. Oneness will not exist where that is there, where independence and self-supremacy is at. We must recognize that we are a body, that we are united together. And then we will see independence and self-supremacy as tokens of servitude to Satan. He wants to divide. He wants to conquer this, this group of people here, each one of our homes as well. Human nature is ever struggling for expression, ready for contest. But he who learns of Christ is emptied of self, of pride, of love of supremacy. That's that seat of honor. And there is silence in the soul. Check all this new stuff that's coming out. I can tell you right now, silence before Jesus is what you really need. You need to come before the Word of God and see what it's saying and where you're at and say, Lord Jesus, help me. It's up in the hills, pastoring in one of those churches there. Somebody had decided to quit praying to Jesus and instead to go into this meditative uh, stuff. And I've heard about it for years now. But I thought to myself, how happy is that person? They wouldn't accept a pastoral visit. They wouldn't accept anything. I, 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 I said, okay, then tell them I'm praying for them. Well, they didn't believe in prayer anymore. How can you come silent before Jesus if you're not spending time with Jesus? This is what we really need. We need to spend this time with him and have true silence in the soul, not what the world calls silence in the soul, but true silence in the soul that says, I am nothing without him. Can you imagine if you turn to some of these methods people are using today and then all of a sudden you found out it was a very fearful practice? I've heard people who have these spirit guides or mediums and all of a sudden they figure out in the deep, dark recesses of the night that these are demons they've been talking to. I mean, that's a fearful place to be. Ask the Wiccan priest I talked to in Nebraska. He just got to the point where he just was so fearful that he flipped out mentally. I mean, just, ugh. Instead, I kept telling him, go before Jesus. Look at his word. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll guide you. Self is yielded to the disposal of the Holy Spirit. So we yield to the Holy Spirit, not to anything else. Then we are not anxious to have the highest place. We have no ambition to crowd and elbow ourselves into notice. But we feel that our highest place is where? At the feet of the Savior. We look to Jesus, waiting for his hand to lead, listening for his voice to guide. And so I just went ahead and made a summary based on the Bible and then this quote. So if we are somehow going to end up at the feet of Jesus, we then have to spend time beholding him, do we not? I mean, that thoughtful hour, if it's not a thoughtful hour, then fine. Find 15 minutes. All right, if you're starting out newer believer, then find five minutes and just behold in one of the Gospels the closing scenes of what Jesus has done for you. Okay? Minimum. I mean, how can you breathe based on five minutes of breathing throughout the day? You've got to continue throughout the day, but minimum, spend that time focusing on him, and then it gets more and more, and next thing you know, your watch seems like it's a nuisance to you, and you chuck it off, and, and spend that time beholding Christ. Don't let anything crowd that out. Then, as you do that, you'll see this vileness in yourself. You say, oh, man, who am I? You have silence in the soul because you've now emptied that out. You said, Jesus, take control of that mess. 
And now, as I leave this place, Lord, guide me to be led by your Spirit to those around me. So be, the Spirit will guide you to keep yielding yourself. And then it says you will hear his voice. He will lead you by the hand and guide you. You've got to be listening to have him, to hear his voice. You've got to be able to recognize it amidst all the other voices in this world. And so that's what I want to do. Spend the time. Recognize who I am. Come before him silently. Allow the Spirit to guide me and hear his voice. Because if I do that, that's a place of honor, is it not? At the feet of Jesus. And then we'll know. We'll know for sure then that in the future, if I've spent the time with Jesus now, that in the future when he says, when they say, well, you know, you were in the streets and we heard your teaching and you're at the meal and we, we ate with you. Uh, Jesus says, I never knew you. The goal is to know him now so that when later on the meal does happen, he'll just say, come on in. Good and faithful servant. Here's your place. And I can tell you, any place at that, that table to me would be a place of honor. Even sitting on the floor at that meal with some crusty old bread from this old earth and some peanut butter slapped on it would be enough for me. But he'll have so much more spread out there that will pale this meal of the presidents into, into, into insignificance. And it'll be, like, it'll be like, in my mind, that he went out and found his Secret Service agents and said, let's go grab somebody off him under the bridge over there, and let's go ahead and stick him there instead of John Kerry. I mean, that's, that's what, how I feel, that Jesus is somehow sticking me in that meal. That's quite an honor. An all-nations banquet where we're all there, coming from the east and the west. Everybody is invited. The invitation comes out. Can you imagine the Secret Serviceman handing an invitation to, that, to a homeless man? We're all homeless without Jesus, okay? He has a home he's preparing for us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. To, and I'll take you where I'm at. About time we all see ourselves as a homeless man. What would the press think if he just walked out of that meal, got his agents to flank him on either side, and went out to the bridge and found that guy and brought him in? What would they think of that? How, what kind of articles would be written and news things would be going about that? Uh, what would the politicians sitting across from him think? Would they still be sitting at the meal? What about the president of China? I came for a distinguished meal here, not for this. You know, I could. Would they even show up if they knew that that type of company would be there. Well, we'll find out next time as we look at our next sermon where that's exactly what happens in the next scene with Jesus. We'll take a glimpse of him next time. We'll see how the people that were there at the meal were ashamed to eat with Jesus, but we don't need to be. We've all been invited, regardless of our blemishes, regardless of our past, regardless of our nationality, regardless of anything material, we have all been invited. Will we come to Jesus? That's the question. And so the invitation stands for each one of us. It will be more glorious in this beautiful hall in Denmark. Except according to Revelation, it says, Come, let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, take the water of life freely. It's time for you today to accept the invitation and say, Jesus, I want to be there with you. How many of you want to be there at that glorious day with Jesus? I do. Father in heaven, you see our hands. You see the glory that it will be extended to you because you've even invited us to that place. Lord, help us to stay committed to you, spending time with you, focusing on you each day until that day when you do come.
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now you can sing our closing song, number 462, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. If you'd like to stand, feel free. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my soul. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above. in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. <coughs> this is my story, <coughs> praising my Savior all the day. So they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there, indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And so, Lord, here we are today, saying we want to be the ones who you say the first will be last. We want to be the ones who are in last place now so we'd be there with you. Any place will be first place with you. Thank you for the invitation that goes to all the world, to each one of us. We accept it now. Ask you to guard it in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.